0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: In the 1950s, Clara Park was a mother of three children. She was smart. She'd studied literature at university, she'd worked as an editor, and she had ambitions to write. Those details are all important for understanding what happened to her later. But for the moment, she was a mother and a homemaker. And in 1958, her fourth child, Jessica, was born. When did Clara first become concerned about her daughter, Jessica? Jessica Park was the last of her children. And when
0: Jessica was born, she immediately realized that Jessica was a little bit different in the sense that Jessica was mostly happy being left alone. And Clara started wondering, was that unusual? Was that a sign of her personality? Was that a sign that there could be an issue in her development? So at the beginning, it was just, you know, like many mothers wonder about the behavior of their children.
1: By the time Jessica was around two years old, Clara began taking detailed notes about her behavior, categorizing them under headings like social or intellectual.
0: She realized that at some point, if she had to explain to other psychologists or pediatricians Jessica's behavior, it might be good to rely
1: on documents. And as Jessica became more reclusive over the following year, Clara decided it was time to get help. But instead of getting the support she hoped for, Clara got blamed. And those notes, meticulously, lovingly kept, were considered confirmation of her blame. You're listening to All In The Mind, I'm Sana Qadar. Today, a little-known slice of the history of autism, the blame that was cast on mothers, the fight to get adequate help and support, and the movement that Clara Park helped spark. Jessica Park was diagnosed as autistic at the age of three. It was 1961, and the prevailing attitude about the cause of autism was mothers, specifically refrigerator mothers.
0: Meaning children were being raised by mothers who were cold, who were not very maternal or responded in a sensitive way towards their children. And at the time, being cold very often meant that the mother had professional, Aspirations or intellectual aspirations, or basically that the mother had interests beyond her child. This was
1: perceived as something unnatural. So a pretty impossible standard, really. And this, by the way, is Marga Vacedo. I'm a historian and philosopher of science. Originally from Spain, she's now a professor in the history of science at the University of Toronto. She's also the author of the book Intelligent Love, the story of Clara Park, her autistic daughter and the myth of the refrigerator mother. And this myth, it was just the latest in a long line of theories about autism and its causes. In the early 1900s, autism as a formal diagnosis didn't exist yet. But autistic behavior was considered an early sign of schizophrenia. Schizophrenics
0: were often people who did not relate with other people in the standard way and mostly preferred to be uh, by themselves. So when this behavior was observed in children, children who isolated themselves, that was considered an early sign of children who later on will
1: become schizophrenic. Then in the 1930s, two doctors, Hans Asperger working in Austria and Leo Kanner in the U.S., kick-started formal research into autism.
0: Leo Kanner had observed many children since the 1930s who really did not fit the pattern of early childhood schizophrenia for a variety of reasons. One of them is that in a schizophrenia, patients become worse over time. But in these children... What happened was the opposite is that sometimes, especially if they were not left alone and their family physicians were able to work with them, these children improved. And that was one of the key reasons why Kana kind of thought that there was something else. But the truth is that many psychiatrists and psychologists had already identified children who showed certain characteristics that today we associate with autism, who uh, nevertheless were able to have a normal life. But they also appeared in children who then developed a stronger condition and were taken to psychiatrists. And uh, in this case, Leo O'Connor, by 1943, had identified about 12 or 13 children who showed these characteristics, but actually some of them were very good at numbers, had very good memories, mm. had perfect pitch. So he started realizing that there were certain characteristics that these children showed that did not fit within the category of mental disability and with schizophrenia which were the two major categories used to diagnose children who show different emotional or psychological development. In
1: 1944, Leo Kanner would name this condition Infantile Autism. And initially, Kanner thought the cause of this diagnosis had nothing to do with mothers. He realised that these children had
0: been the way they were from birth. So these were children who, for example, very early on had shown a desire to be alone. So that led him to believe that whatever the condition was, it was something that these children were born with. But over the course of about a decade, his thinking changed. Influenced by research at the time on what was called maternal deprivation, that is, research that focused on showing the consequences of the lack of maternal love and care on children, Kana shifted his position and started talking about these children as children who, as he put it, had left in a refrigerator that will not defrost. Mm. And that's what led to the metaphor of refrigerated mothers. So basically, he went from a biological to an environmental cause of autism. Kenner was not the strongest person blaming
1: mothers, mm-hmm. but he did introduce this metaphor that became quite powerful. Mm, I mean, that's such a big shift from Kenner in particular, like a huge shift. And, and what kind of damage did that do?
0: Yeah, well, it did tremendous harm both to uh, the understanding of autism, you know, it took quite a few years to uh, fight these ideas and to put the emphasis back on Mm -hmm. trying to understand the biological aspects of autism. So in that sense, it delayed their knowledge of the condition, Mm. and it certainly harmed the mothers, Mm. right? And harmed the relationship between the scientists and the parents in Mm. general. So it contributed to the widespread mother blame of the time, Mm. where almost anything that went wrong with children was attributed to the lack of maternal care and love. Well, wow. and by the way, I like to say that this is something that we see even to this day, right? Yep. I mean, to this day, if, if you watch movies or many series where anything goes wrong with, uh, let's say, main protagonist, and often it is a male protagonist, mm-hmm. but anything that is wrong with his social relationships, it's often attributed to some problem with the relationship with his mother. Yeah. So- other blame continues to be rampant in our society.
1: Yeah, it feels like there's a historical thread of sort of misogyny running through a lot of this. Yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, misogyny and also very gendered understandings of parental roles. Our belief that the mother is more important than the father or the siblings or the grandparents, which, by the way, I like to say is a very parochial view in most societies and communities
1: around the world, there is a bigger community that takes care of children. So, by the time that Clara took her daughter Jessica to see doctors when she was three years old in the 1960s, was the prevailing theory still at the time that refrigerator mothers were to blame for their children's autism?
0: Yeah, incredibly so. It's hard to believe, but uh, it was still the prevailing theory.
1: This climate made it really hard for Clara and her husband to get help. At the time, Jessica didn't speak, she didn't imitate others, which is a key way young children learn new skills, and while she would play with her mother or her siblings, she would quickly lose interest in the activity. The Clarks were a middle-class family. David was a physicist, so they had means. And one of the first places they took Jessica was to a children's center in Boston.
0: Which was a major clinic and child psychoanalysis at the time.
1: And remember, this was the 60s. At the time, children like Jessica were excluded from education, and they faced extremely limited prospects. Clara and David believed Jessica deserved more than that. But at the Boston clinic, things quickly went sideways.
0: The first thing that surprised Clara is that they interviewed Jessica Heron and the social uh, worker interviewed Clara and also, separately, David Park. But there were no interviews in which the psychiatrist there, so Clara Park and her husband interact with Jessica and could observe how she behaved with them. And that, you know, although it surprised her, is not surprising given the views they had about mothers. So they did not consider that they needed to interview or to hear the observations of Clara Park, because in a sense, she was already found guilty wow. before she was given a trial. Mm. So at that point, they diagnosed Jesse as autistic and they recommended psychotherapy. And at the time, they recommended psychotherapy mainly for the mothers. Wow. Not for the fathers, not for the whole family, but mainly for the mothers, because those are the ones who had to change their behavior Mm. for the child to become well.
1: And the detailed notes that Clara had taken of Jessica's behavior over the past three years, They, they were actually used against her, weren't they?
0: That's right. I mean, Clara took the notes that she had taken about her daughter daily observations, you know, very detailed notes and comments about what she had observed over the years because she thought they could be of use to the experts. But of course, the contributions of a mother were not considered valuable at the time, not only because they saw the mother as the one that had led the child into autism, but also because mothers, by their very position, were not seen as adequate to provide sort of reliable observations or impressions or interpretation of the child's behavior. Mm. I mean, even outside of autism, the knowledge that the mother gains about her children, would have been considered irrelevant for scientific understanding of the child. So her notes were considered not only irrelevant, but actually a proof that she was what at the time was called an intellectual mother. An intellectual mother means the opposite of a natural mother. And an intellectual mother is one who is using her intellect, who are focusing on the wrong aspects of the maternal relationship, which at the time they thought it should be just a natural relationship mm. that was not mediated by any
1: other intellectual mm. factors or reflection. So how did they feel at the end of that experience, um, Clara and her husband?
0: Well, Clara Park wrote at some point that they laughed the whole thing off because they found it so absurd. She wrote at some point that she thought it was like, Kafka's castle from (laughs) beginning to the end. I know they found it incomprehensible and they didn't think that the experts there knew how to treat and they didn't think they knew much about the condition Mm. because they were not able to offer them any new understanding about Jessica or any new suggestions about what to do with her. Mm. So... She said that, but obviously in her writings later on, you could see that she was deeply hurt by the experience. Mm. Because think about it. I mean, you have a child who you think may have a problem. I mean, you don't know what it is, but you're worried about her development and you take the child to the expert at the time. Mm. And not only they don't have anything to offer you in terms of help or support uh, for Jessica, but on top of that, they blame their mm. condition on you. So for any mother it would be devastating. I'm not the mother, but I mean, I can imagine that that's, I mean, that's It's cruel, literally,
1: really. This is All In The Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, a little-known slice of the history of autism. Professor Marga Veseido from the University of Toronto is the author of Intelligent Love, the story of Clara Park, her autistic daughter, and the myth of the refrigerator mother. And not long after the Clark's disappointing, to say the least, experience in Boston, they moved to England, and again they sought help for their daughter Jessica there. This time, they had a totally different experience.
0: Yeah, that's right. It is an interesting aspect of this story. They decided to take Jessica to the Hampstead Clinic in London, which had been founded by Anna Freud, the daughter of Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychoanalysis, but also a major child psychoanalyst on her own right. So. On the one hand, the parks didn't have very high expectations, but the treatment they got as individuals was completely different. I mean, they were treated with respect and they took her notes. They valued them, although I also found that looking at archival materials, that they interpreted the notes also as showing that She was, again, an intellectual mother who treated her daughter as a project. So they had some of the um, prejudices, but the treatment of the parks as individuals was different, and Clara felt valued there. And most importantly, more than the treatment that she got at the clinic, it was the fact that she was advised to work with a psychoanalyst who was Marie Battlesinger. Singer was a very unusual psychoanalyst. I mean, to start with, she was Black, so she was probably the first Black psychoanalyst in England and someone who came also from the U.S., from the South, probably with a very different experience of segregation and racism than Clara, but certainly coming from... A similar, if you want, social context. So the encounter
1: with Marie Badelsinger and Clara Park made all the difference. And so what, what was the treatment that proceeded for Jessica from there with Marie Singer? Yeah, what happened is that the treatment was pretty much the same. I mean, it was therapy to the
0: mother, not to Jessica, but to Clara. But the difference was that the personal relationship that Clara and Marie developed led them to focus on Jessica and not on Clara. I mean, what they did is together with Marie Battlesinger, valuing Clara's contributions Mm. and Clara's notes and Clara's reflections and observations, focusing on what practical aspects could uh, help her daughter. They just focused on devising little games, things that could
1: help Jessica. Things like holding tea parties to encourage Jessica to play with the cups and saucers. They also painted with her to help her connect in a way that was comfortable for her. And they used craft to help Jessica overcome her fear of bathing, creating paper cutouts of a bathtub. Because of their efforts, Jessica was soon able to be placed in a nursery school with other children for a couple of hours a week. She even began playing with her classmates. The family eventually returned to the U.S., and the next person who would play a big role in their journey was psychologist Bernard Rimland. Can you talk about um, the effect he had on Jessica and Clara?
0: Yeah, mainly, I mean, Bernard Rimland uh, was the first psychologist who published the book in 1964, arguing that autism had a biological basis, it was not caused by environmental factors, and that certainly mothers had nothing to do with it. So in that sense, his main impact was on the parents, Mm. because the parents immediately wrote To him. And he had included in his book a questionnaire at the end, asking for the parents to give to the children and see whether they fitted a certain criteria for the child to be diagnosed as autistic. And this questionnaire became an instrument of. Networking, which revolutionized the whole history of autism, because the parents started sending him the questionnaires. He started corresponding with them, and they realized they needed to meet, and they did meet, and they developed the first organization of parents to call for further research on autism and for also supports like education mm-hmm. and other types of support for autistic children. And on Clara specifically, Bernard Rimland's impact was huge because she wrote to him as soon as she read his book, a four page letter full of observations about Jessica, but also questioning some of his views, which was pretty gutsy, right? Because she was a mother writing at home To uh, these psychologists who have published this impressive Mm -hmm. book, but she dared to present her own views about the condition. And uh, Bernard Rimland answered to her, so recognizing the value of her observations and her understanding. And in that sense, the main role that he played was in encouraging her to develop. Her own ideas, her own voice, and Clara Park, encouraged by this, eventually published her own book about
1: raising Jessica. That book was called The Siege, and it was published in 1967. The book was, at the time,
0: and perhaps even to this day, the most detailed record of raising a child with autism. Did it have a big impact at the time? You couldn't say at the time it had a big impact. For example, this book was not reviewed by the New York Times, Mm. which in the U.S. is pretty important. So it did not have an immediate impact, but what it had was a very strong and lasting impact because Clara, through her writings which encouraged other parents to become activists, to raise their voices, asking for all the things that their children did not have at the time, like access to education. In that sense, uh, you know, she was instrumental in the movement to Obtain more support for autistic children. She traveled abroad, she traveled in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and she called for a partnership with psychologists and psychiatrists and a partnership in which the parents could work together with them to provide better therapies and supports for autistic children. So I think her role was essential
1: Would it be fair to say she was pivotal in sort of shifting the ideas about refrigerator mothers and intellectual mothers causing autism? Did she play a major role in shifting that sense of blame?
0: I think so. I think her book for the parents and also for uh, many members of the scientific community, including many psychoanalysts who Mm. later wrote that reading this book, they realized there is no way you could say that this mother did not love her child. You know, you may agree or disagree with some of her views or some of the things she did, but this was a book that really was the result of love. And it, it was a book that showed how much she cared about Jessica and had invested herself in helping Jessica to develop. So, um this idea that autism is caused by lack of mother love cannot be sustained when you have evidence like this.
1: I sort of wonder, you know, her final child was autistic, um, but she had three other children prior to Jessica, but that didn't seem to factor in anyone's assessment of her mothering and her her blame for Jessica's autism. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's,
0: but of course, the, you know, the professionals always said, oh, but you know, it is clear that each relationship is different right. and a mother can, you know, behave warmly or affectionately towards a child and not towards another for right. whatever reason. So they had this excuse, but in the case of Clara, She had the evidence that Mm. she had raised three children, Mm -hmm. so she knew she hadn't treated Jessica differently. Whereas many first-time mothers who took their autistic child were blamed, they sort of accepted it because what could you do? If this is what the experts tell you, well, you have... No other explanation. You may even believe it.
1: Yeah, yeah. What is Jessica's life like now? What, what impact did her mother's tireless advocacy have? So thanks to the efforts of her mother, Jessica was able to attend the
0: school. And uh, when she finished the school, she got a job at Williams College in uh, the mail room, sorting the mail and doing other activities. And to this day, Jessica has that job part-time. She also started to to paint, so she has become quite an accomplished painter. Mm. And she has sold and exhibited her paintings several times. She continues today to do both. She continues to live in the house where she grew up with her parents and with her siblings. She has a very regular life where she takes her daily walk in the morning at the same time that she goes to her job. I mean, it's interesting in the last couple of years, as you can imagine, life has been a little bit harder for everyone, and certainly for people with disabilities. And for Jessica, she has been really concerned about COVID, Mm -hmm. but so her life in the last couple of years has also been sort of quite affected by this pandemic.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And her mother, Clara, passed in 2010. We've talked about how significant her contribution was to the understanding of autism today, but is she a well-known figure in this sphere? Like, has she gotten the due she deserves? I would say no, but that's why I wrote the book about her. I mean,
0: this is what happened. You know, in the... uh autistic community of her time. Clara Park was very well known. But at a certain point in the history of autism, and understandably so, the autistic children who grew up autistic adults started calling for recognition of the need to center their own voices, not to rely only on the voices of parents who, of course, write about their own experiences of raising an autistic child, but it's not the same experience as the experience of the autistic individual. Mm. So at a certain point in the history of autism, their memoirs by parents became Of less interest to the autistic community. I mean, I would hope that there is a space to be inclusive and recognize certainly the need of centering the voices of autistic people, Mm -hmm. but to see also the um, contribution of parents or even siblings as individuals who can help us gain other perspectives. Mm. So in that sense, I think that, yeah, we need to sort of know a little bit better her contribution to not only autism, but to her call for recognizing the valuable insights of mothers. Mm. Her call is a call for pluralism and for recognizing that in the kind of science we want to construct, we should have a role or a place for the contributions of parents. I mean, today, I hope it's not only mothers, but also fathers. <laughs> but her call for valuing multiple perspectives, it's still
1: very timely today. That's Professor Marga Vesedo from the University of Toronto and author of the book Intelligent Love, the story of Clara Park, her autistic daughter, and the myth of the refrigerator mother. That's it for All in the Mind this week. Our producer is James Bullen. Sound engineer this week was John Jacobs. I'm Sanna Adar. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.